Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Thank you, Coop. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime Question. Why is the most sweeping legislation in decades to help lift Americans out of poverty just hours away from passing, but without any support from the right side of the aisle? The answer, Meghan Markle and a dollop of Dr. Seuss. Let me argue. Many of the rights party's constituents are struggling from a pandemic that they long denied. But with a president they want to lose, they're making a choice. Duck real problem solving in favor of culture fights. Be a true opposition party. One that opposes whatever it can as a proxy for getting anything done. They are simply against. And the top of their list is against owning the reality of racism. If that's not true, why else is there this Markle madness on the right? Why are they so concerned about this story and whether or not it's true? After four years of empowering the biggest liar in presidential history, now you got a thing for truth? Doubtful. Tonight, the queen doesn't deny accusations of racism for Meghan Markle and Prince Harry against the royal family in the family's first public statement since the bomb drops. But people here on the right continue to savage Markle and her story. Something struck a nerve with them. Was it a multiracial woman speaking out against an institutional white royal family? Oh, no, no, it's not about that. Well, then what is it about? The royals aren't questioning what Markle says about her race being used against her by some of them. They don't even deny her and Prince Harry's allegations about conversations with an unnamed someone questioning how dark the skin of their unborn child would be. So why are so many here on the righty fringe unable to accept the story? Could it be that the opposition party is passing laws that disenfranchise minorities? that are all but a constructive fraud regarding election fairness as their strategy to oppose racial progress and to help their chances of winning elections. Is it any better reason that now they don't want to help people out of poverty when they know a disproportionate number of those people are minorities, though there are way more poor white folks who are also going to be caught up in their opposition obsession. Is this why this notion of just be against, is this why they would rather debate books I've never heard of from Dr. Seuss than deal with the reality of January 6th, a white supremacist terror attack about which they have decided to spin a tale stranger than anything Seuss ever wrote. Let's take this idea to the better minds, Van Jones and Natasha Alford. Thank you both. 
Natasha, you're new to the show, so I'll give you a chance to say I'm wrong first. Um, what do you make of my suggestion that I don't get why political actors on the right in America care so much about Meghan Markle's story, even after the royals have decided not to question it in substance? Well, I, I think doubting racism is almost an American pastime. Um, it makes people feel better about the sins of this country, um, and it allows them to continue to do nothing. And in this case, we see that Stephen Miller, who's a former Trump advisor, was very quick to uh, dismiss and deflect from what Meghan Markle said in her interview. And I think that that reflects a general approach of the GOP when it comes to racism. We saw this with Donald Trump in Charlottesville playing both sides. We saw this with the Proud Boys when he told them to stand back and to stand by. And the reality is that that struggle uh, of racism and the empathy that's required to truly understand it, that doesn't play nicely to their base. Mm -hmm. They want to play to people who feel victimized by actually having to hear marginalized people that they never had to listen to before. Right. They want to play to people who don't want to change. And so that's why that's, this is not really surprising to me. Because, hmm. Van, you know, look at it. These laws across the country, yeah, they're going to catch up a lot of white voters, Republican voters, too, especially if they mess with early voting. But disproportionately, mm -hmm. it will <laughs> affect minorities. This bill, this pandemic relief bill, disproportionately affects minorities. And look, you're always looking to find some common ground. What is the common ground for them in going after Meghan Markle? Well, I mean, this is the, there, there is no common ground. This is the, the worst nightmare, I think, for a lot of people who are on the racial right. Uh, first of all, uh, it turns out that there is a queen uh, who has a lot of power. Her name is Oprah Winfrey. She is the queen. <laughs> they even go after Oprah. Exactly. Who does that <laughs> like, in good conscience? You know you're desperate. <laughs> you, know you're in, you know you're in bad shape when you've got to go up against the real queen, <laughs> Oprah Winfrey. Um, and, and, but what does, that, what does that suggest? It suggests that a woman of color uh, who goes into an institution uh, who does not go along with the script, of you're going to have to put up with whatever you put up with, you're going to have to grin and bear it, you're going to have to, to, to uh, you know, be loyal to an institution that's not loyal to you, that not only can that woman of color say, not this time, not this time, I'm not going along with it, but then she can also bring in another woman of color, Oprah Winfrey, to fire cannonballs back across the ocean that are, are, are hitting harder than the British tabloids on the, the, the global stage. So this, uh, listen, I don't understand all the stuff about titles and Me this either. type of stuff. I'm so, with you. so listen, are there people who are saying that you know, some things she says were not accurate, et cetera. But from a, a deeper point of view, uh, the nightmare for black women has been, I'm going to get in these institutions, I'm going to be mistreated, I'm going to have no recourse, and nobody's going to care about me. Megan becomes somebody who went in and stood up for herself, so she becomes a hero. And then I think the nightmare on the other side is, somebody's going to do this and get away with it. Megan Markle is getting away with it, and that's why you're having this reaction. And look, and again, Natasha, I would love to be wrong about this, okay? Because I really want us to be better than this. And... Just if, if it's so off, because I know on the right, I'm sure they're savaging me right now. Why did Trump say this just last year? I'm not a fan of hers. And uh, I would say this, and she probably has heard that, but uh, I wish a lot of luck 
to Harry because he's going to need it. It's it's such a racist, sexist caricature, right? Make her out to be someone who is a bully, someone who's an aggressor, someone who can't be troll, uh, controlled, and make it seem as if Harry is somehow, um, you know, at her whims somehow. Well, you got to give him a break, uh, Natasha, because he couldn't, ha- he didn't have his go-to. He couldn't make fun of how she looks. Right. <laughs> right. Actually, I mean, you know, he right. was working it's, with what he right. had here. He had to go with the bully thing with a little bit of a racial underplay because yeah. he can't say, look at her, she's ugly. He can't do that with Meghan Markle. But so many, so many black women and women of color experience these types of microaggressions and outright aggressions in the workplace. And we're told that you can come into the room, but just remember that you are not one of us. Right. You can be celebrated as a duchess, but don't get too comfortable or expect the same exact treatment that someone else would get uh, for their child. And and, and, and you know, and don't America, complain even, and don't complain. Be happy that complain. we let you in here. <laughs> Exactly. And, and Megan completely flipped that on its head and she owned her story. She, she, she used her power by ending the silence. And it's going to be really hard for them to react to this. You saw the weak statement that they put out today, uh, acting as if they were just learning about it for the first time, the full extent when they were actually the perpetrators. So I love that, you know, black women came together. Uh, Tyler Perry came in and stepped in. I mean, we really, this is what community is. We know how to do this, right? We know how to step up and push back. And you're seeing that politically in Georgia. You're seeing that with voting. You're seeing people who expected Stacey Abrams to just go away after that governor's race. And she said, no, I'm coming back with more voters. And so now what do they want to do? They want to change the rules of the game now that Democrats are actually winning. Black people showing up to the polls and they're saying, hold up, wait, we need to see IDs. Uh, No more souls to the polls on Sunday. So people who are used to being the referee and the player, they can't stand losing. And this is the moment that we're in, and that's why we have to be vigilant and watch what's happening. And right, look, my my analogy is always, it's not about taking pieces of pie from other people. It's about making more pie. Tyler Perry is a perfect example of that. He builds the movie studio. He creates new markets. You know, he, you know, it's just more pie. It's just more people to work, more money to be made, more entertainment to be enjoyed. And yet, then there's a flip, Van. If we look at the numbers between 2016 and 2020 and who voted for Trump, not big numbers, but black men, Latino men, he went up in both in this election. If I am right and that their opposition is so obvious and the animus is so plain, then why do the votes go that way? Well, look, there's uh, cross currents and cross pressures when when it comes to to gender, when it comes to immigration, when it comes to a lot of other issues. Um, Frankly, uh, though, having a little bit more uh, competition uh, for uh, the black vote is better for the black uh, community and, frankly, better for both parties. But, But here's what you're seeing now. Um, you know, we're in a situation where the Republican Party had an opportunity to look in the mirror uh, post-Trump and to say, listen, some of the stuff that we were doing maybe got us a little, little bit of ground. Let's be more open. Let's tr- try to have more opportunities for more people to come in. And instead, the party is trying to close the door on voting. That is a signal that I don't care if you're a conservative, liberal, independent, Green Party, if you're African-American, when people start closing the door on voting, that is a sign to go the other direction. And so I think you did have a party that was at least trying a few little things to see if they could get more black votes. I think they're moving in the opposite direction now. You know, it's interesting. And look, the worst three words that we ever have to say, right? We will see. Mm -hmm. Uh, And yet 
The supposition is they're doing this for one simple reason. It works. Now, have they pushed it too far? Is the opposition too ugly? Is the animus too obvious? Is it too offensive to too many? We'll have to see. But Van Jones, Natasha Alford, thank you for starting the conversation. Natasha, welcome to the show. Van, as always, I love you, brother. Be well. Love you, too. All right. We're continuing this important conversation ahead because I do think there's no small irony that a woman of color may have blown up the royal family in a way that no white person ever has before. Think about that. But first, the Biden rescue bill is likely hours away from the president's desk. And the opposition party, led by McConnell, are acting like victims instead of helping actual victims of the pandemic that they denied for so long. And many of the people who are hit hardest are the constituents of the same who reject relief. A key Democrat takes the opposition on. Next. President Biden gearing up for a big push to sell you on the COVID relief plan, but most of you already like it. After he signs it, he's planning a primetime address Thursday night. You will see it right here and probably everywhere. Then he's going to spend weeks traveling to highlight the impact around the country. The White House says he's going to hold his first formal news conference this month after waiting longer than any president in the last 100 days. Um, Last 100 days, 100 years. (laughs) Anyway, finally, he's expected to speak to a joint session of Congress next month. Now, of course, Congress still needs to actually get him the bill to sign. Let's discuss the state of play with a senator from Connecticut, Democrat Chris Murphy. Good to see you, Senator. Yeah, thanks for having me. Am I wrong to suggest that this process makes plain that these people in the opposition party are not going to work with you? under any circumstances, because this bill is good for their own people and they know it and they still won't do it. Yeah, I mean, President Biden promised on a, you know, he had a campaign promise to unite the country around an agenda to beat the pandemic and to get the economy back to recovery. And that's what he did. He put on the table uh, the American Rescue Plan that's supported by 70 percent of the American public. The last poll I saw suggested that 60 percent of Republicans support it. And I don't know that it's his fault that uh, not a single Republican is willing to support something not saying that the it's majority of their party out there in America. Not supports. saying it's his fault. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm increasingly he, blaming all brought, of you. He, for continuing a ruse of working with people that you know don't want to work with you. I had Joe Manchin on last night, senator from West Virginia. I believe, I believe. You believe what? Every time you go near them, they punch you in the face. You know, I get that you want, it would be better. It would be better. Okay. But it's not happening. And now you have the most important piece of legislation. This H.R. 1, if you guys don't pass it, senator, I don't need to tell you this. You know you're knitting as well as anybody. There will be a wave of legislation across this country that will take free and fair elections back half a century. Can you allow that? No, we can't allow that. I mean, listen, democracy can't survive if people don't have the ability to vote, if state legislatures can rig elections so that only voters sympathetic to Republicans are allowed to get to the polls. Uh, So, of course, if we don't pass a new Voting Rights Act in this country, um, we're leaving democracy to die. Um, Now, listen, we've got some work to do to persuade um, 50 50 votes in the Senate to change the rules. Um, But yes, you're right. Um, This pandemic relief bill was proof 
that Republicans are not willing to work with us. Because guess what? Everything in this bill was essentially just an extension of funding streams and programs that Republicans and Democrats approved together in 2020. So Republicans were very willing to fund small business relief and direct checks to consumers and money for schools uh, back when they were running the Senate. But now all of a sudden that Democrats are in the White House and uh, running the United States Senate, they claim that these things are unnecessary. So, you know, the script has flipped, but unfortunately, you know, Republicans are all of a sudden back to sitting on the sidelines. I mean, their argument is, yeah, we're in favor of these things. You're just putting too much money into it uh, at a time that things are too hard from us for us from a revenue structure. Is there anything to their criticism? Yeah, but they didn't make that argument consistently, right? I heard that occasionally from Republicans, but here's what I mainly heard. They went down to the Senate floor for a week straight and said 90% of this bill isn't COVID relief. They essentially said that unless you're putting shots in people's arms, this doesn't count as COVID relief. So saving small businesses or making sure that schools can reopen safely, all of a sudden that's illegitimate in the eyes of Republicans. That's totally insincere because they categorized all of that as COVID relief back when they were in charge of the Senate. So I'm not saying they don't have any legitimate criticisms of this bill. They clearly would have written something different. But the criticisms that they lodged on the floor of the Senate, it's not COVID relief. It's too partisan. It's too expensive. None of these hold water because, A, the American public support it, Republicans and Democrats. It wasn't too expensive back when they were in charge. And they thought all of this stuff was legitimately um, important to spend money on when they ran the Senate. Do you think there's a chance that at the end of the day, you don't get rid of the filibuster, the Republicans become nothing but the opposition party, and you don't hold 50 on your own side, that you have one, two, three that don't like the Biden agenda as presented as the party, and it winds up being your own party that stops Biden from getting things done. Well, listen, I think it's really hard to imagine how we can get everything done through reconciliation. I mean, ultimately, um, you know, things like universal background checks, something that I care deeply about that the House will you vote on later this week. You on that in what, 2015? Um, the, 2016. 15 hours right. you we did. Had, we had 15. We had 50 and uh, and we had 55 votes for that measure um, and couldn't get it passed in 2013. So, you know, ultimately, there are parts of this agenda that can't go through reconciliation and you either get need to get Republican votes or you need to modify the, the rules. Manchin says I'm not modifying the rules. Well, I, I mean, listen, we've got to sort of show um, our caucus um, that Republicans are going to consistently stand in the way of change. I think there are you know, members of our caucus who believe that the filibuster incentivizes bipartisan cooperation. I think we are going to have to test that theory over the course of the next few months and see if Republicans are willing to come to the table on things like infrastructure and background checks, immigration reform. My, my hope is that they will. My guess is that they won't. Um, but let's put that theory that some of my colleagues have to the test um, and then if they are wrong, we'll make that argument. Well, I think your best hope may be what the president is doing right now, but in reverse, meaning, you know, you're probably going to get this bill through or you should on relief. And now he's going out to sell it. He should probably go out on the hustings and campaign for H.R. 1 and let everybody know what the bill is, what it will be stopping and then put pressure. We'll see if he does it. I know you'll be fighting the good fight. You have a platform here to do so. Do so. Senator Chris Murphy, thank you for being with us. Thanks a lot. All right. Now, uh, I want to talk to you about the pandemic, but I want to talk about it from an angle that you don't hear a lot now, but you are going to hear so much 
in so many ways that it will blow your mind a year from now. Long haulers. You've heard it a little bit. I talk about it here. It's so much worse than you know, than I know, than we know. Long haulers are still getting sick. If you need more incentive to get a vaccine, I'm telling you, you can get this virus, not even know you have it, and then develop long haul symptoms or syndrome or whatever they wind up calling it that will ruin your life. Proof, one of the first COVID patients that I had on this show is back with what's going on in her life and the reality of long haul. She is now my COVID sister. Next. I totally get why most of you are fixated on what's happening right now. Totally get it. But please trust me when I say that the story of the pandemic is going to have a very bad chapter about a year from now. And that will be the long haul chapter. We just can't focus on it right now. We don't know enough. We're developing our understanding. People are getting confused diagnoses, but it is so real. I hear it from so many of you all over the world. Now there's a study and there will be so many more. This one's from California. Out of more than 1,400 people, 27% said they struggled with shortness of breath, chest pain, and other symptoms more than 60 days after their infection. And I'm telling you, I know people, I'm one of them, okay? I'm an easy case, I'm one of the fortunate. They've gone six, seven, eight months, and they still have it. One third of those in this survey were originally asymptomatic. So what does this mean? Even if you get a light case, you could then have moderate to severe long haul symptoms. And I'll tell you what wasn't caught in this that I'm hearing a lot about anecdotally, but also in different research. Brain fog, depression, and a lot of other mental components and anguish. It makes the vaccine vaccine effort that much more important, okay? Because if you wanted another reason not to get it, because now you're like, ah, if I get a case, it may not be that bad, right? A lot of people don't have it that bad. You can still get this. Let me bring in my sister, my COVID sister, Lauren Thomas Mandel, mother of four, got COVID last April. Now, nearly a year later, she had it. Her husband had it. One of her kids is still battling symptoms a year later. It's good to see your face, my friend. You too. So lay it on me. What's, what is the status quo? The status quo is I'm still struggling. Um, I was just diagnosed about three weeks ago with asthma. Uh, they don't know if it was from the COVID or if it was just brought about from the COVID, but I still can't breathe. I'm back on my inhaler, which gave me other problems. I have a little bit of brain fog still. I have flushing in my face when I get like either really excited or really not excited. I'm kind of, I'm still all over the place. I'm really still all over the place. Are you the only one with the long haul uh, or is no. your husband, who, as I remember, is a doctor um, or yes. one of your kids? Are they dealing with any long haul? So the 18 year old still, it's been a year, is does not have his taste and smell 100 percent back. It's there, but faintly. And my husband 
I mean, he's working, we're both, you know, out and about, but he still has some tingling throughout the body, a little bit of brain fog, shortness of breath. I don't think the shortness of breath though for him is as bad as it is for me. Now, when you go to the doctor and you're talking to all these different clinicians all the time, they've got nothing for you, right? Pretty much. <laughs> and at least yeah, they now, don't know. They don't know, but at least they're starting to believe you now, right? In the beginning, it was everybody looked at you like you might have been a little off with these things, like maybe it was psychosomatic or something like that. But are they hearing about more Laurens now? I think they are. I mean, um, the pulmonologist kind of is not completely convinced that the asthma is from COVID, but I work at a day camp. I, I'm running up and down hills in 102 degree weather, and I never had a problem in my life. Went to the gym, never had a problem breathing. And since March, you know, 26, that was my, that's my anniversary. Um, I have had trouble breathing and I have trouble getting up the steps still. If I work out, I, it's there like all the time sitting and watching TV. I just need that. I can't get that breath in sometimes. It's hard. Cardiologist, pulmonologist, yes. allergist. Yep. What do they say? The the cardiologist is the first one that's telling me I have to push myself and take it slow. So for people who do not have COVID, this sounds like very bizarre, but I started at the new year walking on our elliptical at two and a half minutes and I'm up to 15 minutes. I, it sounds weird. I did take steps back. I got the vaccine. The first vaccine caused a little bit of issues and took me a few days off of my game and had to go backwards. And the second one totally wiped me out for about a week or half, like week to two weeks. So, um, you know, now I'm getting back on it, but I'm up to 15 minutes. I feel proud of myself that I can do that. So, yeah, you, yeah, you got to take progress where you find it. And you have remind me, what are you, have four kids? Yeah. So, you know, you've got it all working. You've got all this stuff going on. Uh, you've maintained a pretty good attitude, but isn't this scary? And isn't it worth talking to, you know, I, I keep asking Lauren to come on because one, you know, I want to check in, but uh, I could do that off TV. People don't want to get this vaccine. They don't think it's going to be that bad. They'll just get mild cases. They'll be asymptomatic. It'll be no big deal. And isn't it scary that a year later, we're still dealing with this, you worse than I am, and so many others like us, growing numbers all the time, and still people don't take it seriously. No, and the worst part for me is I, I'm losing my hair. So parts of it came out in August. In August, I had like a mini bird's nest. And the first time that happens, you kind of freak out and panic. Um, it's getting better, but I hate washing my hair. It's like, you know, you have to go in and get all, you know, it's like a whole mental game before you do anything. Now, I will tell you this. I've heard from a lot of, you know, usually, you know, you wanted to come on TV. I really appreciate you doing that. Many of the people I talk to, I keep them anonymous. I have talked to many famous, okay, fashion, acting, music, you know, people who are known for how they look, women who lost hair, but every woman I've talked to, it came back. Now, I know that's not true for everybody, but that is one of the symptoms. I didn't talk to a dermatologist about it, and it has been coming back. I know that's something small on a vanity scale, but it matters to people. You know, you, you need your breathing, but it matters. But I just wanted to check in and say thank you and let you be a reminder to people that they got to take this seriously. And I really do hope yeah. that the baby steps continue and you get to a better place. And I'm here for you if you need anything. Thanks. All right. All the best to your husband, your son, your other kids, and you. I'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Okay, you too. All right, listen. I've always marveled at her. Her attitude through all this has been phenomenal. Um, it was a big boost for me.
in dealing with it, seeing how she was dealing with worse, but with the kids and the job and the husband and everything going on. Um, don't, it's not a joke. I know very few people die, but it still turns out to be a half a million or maybe a million by the time we're done with this. Get the vaccine. Take it seriously. If you get sick, you don't know what's going to happen. Trust me. Trust me on this. Back to the Queen's response to the interview that popped eyeballs across the globe and may have changed things in a big way. My next guest says she believes Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, that their account of racism within the royals, she believes it because it hits home close to her experience. She too has biracial kids. She too wants to share her experiences to open minds and talk about the impact Megan may make. Next. This Megan Markle thing is have a massive fallout. Uh, sir, even here, you know, it's such a big deal that it's playing on race and animus in America, but certainly in the UK. In fact, today, a guy who used to hold this position at CNN at 9 p.m., one of the most well-known UK TV personalities, stormed off set live on air and then resigned amid searing criticism because of his continuous negative take on Meghan Markle. Take a look at this. I understand that you don't like Meghan Markle. You've made it so clear a number of times on this program. Has she said anything about you since she cut you off? I don't think she has, but yet you continue to trash her. OK, I'm done with this. No, no, no. Sorry, no. Oh, Sorry. Do you know what? That's pathetic. You can trash me, maybe not my no, own. No, no, no. See I'm, you later. I'm being... Sorry, can't this do this. This is absolutely diabolical behaviour. i got to tell you, I get worse than that from my own team. But Piers Morgan walked off, then came back, then resigned. One British journalist joins us now who says the racism that Markle experienced is no surprise to her because she's experienced it her entire life. Ate Jewell, welcome to Primetime. It's good to have you. Hello, thank you for having me. So help me understand what happened with Piers. Was he fired or did he resign? Well, um, the official take is that he quit, but I know there was 41,000 complaints about his very aggressive take on uh, Prince Harry and Meghan, especially when it came to denying her experience of institutional racism and also her experience of mental health and suicidal thoughts. So there is a huge uh, call for him to be removed, whether he quit or he was asked to leave. It's uh hasn't really been confirmed, but the official line is that he quit. If that decision uh, was somewhat of a managerial one, would that have been done just by his network or does the British government have any reach into that particular outlet? I would imagine it would be from the network or because he's not on the BBC. Yeah, I would admit I, I this is such a hot topic in the UK. Um, it is such a polarizing uh, topic as well. People are furious on both sides. People like me who believe Megan, people who think this is about the truth and about changing society and social equality. And then the other side of um, our society, which think that this is a huge disgrace and that um, Piers Morgan is a victim of woke count. Uh, Cancel culture. Do you so think he was cancelled? I don't think he was cancelled. I think there's rumours that he was asked to apologise. He didn't want to, so he walked. Does that sound something that Piers Morgan would do? That's uh, for you to decide. 
So the idea of Meghan Markle not telling the truth, I, I always have a very easy question. Why lie? Okay. And usually it pops up to you exactly why somebody would. But in this circumstance, why would she lie? What was gained by this? It blew up her life. It blew up, uh, you know, the stability of her husband with the family. They had to move. It created all of this. Um, why do you believe she's telling the truth? I believe she's telling the truth because I completely relate to her situation. I've walked in her shoes. As a woman of colour in the UK, I have experienced that very nuanced 21st century racism. You know, people get very confused because no one's screaming the N-word in her face because there's no burning crosses in her garden. People think that she's not a, a victim of racism. In my life, I have had it all through my, um, from school, where I went to a very privileged private uh, girl school in a very fancy neighbourhood in central London where my principal told me, don't bother applying to Oxford. They don't want your kind. You know what I'm talking about. To when I first started my career as a beauty journalist in the UK, I worked at Vogue House. And to get uh, into the building, I had to go through the head of HR who asked me, you're very well educated. Does that make you feel that you're white? And then she also asked me about gang warfare in London. I told her I don't really know about gang war warfare. My father is a Nigerian diplomat for the UN and I live around the corner from Vogue House. And that was what I had to suffer. It was offensive and racist. And that's what we're talking about. It is Princess Michael wearing a blackamoor brooch to a, to a lunch to meet Meghan, th probably thinking possibly that that was a nice gesture when in fact it was offensive and racist. Mm. So when she talks about institutional racism, I completely understand what she's talking about. And I find it very frustrating that people who haven't lived her experience or my experience are so quick to shoot her down and deny her truth. And especially even folding it over to the, what she describes as her pain, they invalidate that as well. That is also very dangerous because when you deny a reality, racism, the pain of illness, uh, it, it suppresses people from speaking their truth and things can get worse. And to be very clear, the royal family has not denied any of the allegations. The strongest thing they've put out is recollections may differ. So the question becomes, why are so many people outside the royal family questioning Markle even more than she is if it has nothing to do with race? Ms. Jewell, thank you very much. Best to you, your kids and your career. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Be well. Happens everywhere. But again, my acute awareness is why do people here on the right fringe, fringe mostly, people desperate for attention again, why are they picking on Meghan Markle? Think about it. Now, where does that take us? That race and systemic inequality infiltrates everything and every problem that we're dealing with here. The murder trial and the case that sparked global protests for racial equality is closer to starting. Only three jurors have been seated. This is always a very delicate process. It's called voir dire, your say. But this trial of the officer who kneeled on George Floyd's neck for more than eight minutes will be covered here extensively. Why? These are rare occurrences, these types of trials, and it has huge implications and it must be fully understood. The first issue for us is understanding the charges and what's going on there. I've got the insight for you on that next.
Three jurors have now been seated in the trial of Derek Chauvin, the man whose name will forever be tied to that horrific moment we all know well. George Floyd uttering his last words, I can't breathe while beneath Chauvin's knee. We still have a long way to go before the trial even begins. Jury selection, two, three weeks probably. And there's now a third charge uh, for third-degree murder, an additional charge. It's in limbo. An appeals court ruled that the trial judge must reconsider a motion to reinstate it. Top legal mind Laura Coates joins us now. Uh, Let's talk people, and then we'll talk policy. Thank you for joining us, my friend. Uh, Juror number one, uh, man, Caucasian, mid-20s or 30s. What do we know about him that makes him interesting to you? Well, in the case of him, you have the idea that he says, look, he believes in the Black Lives Matter movement, we're told. He doesn't believe in the organization, but the idea of thinking about equality of all lives, he watched at least part of the video into some respect. And he's also able, what you're looking for as a prosecutor or a defense attorney, to have some objectivity in the receipt of the information. So that's pretty impressive to think about the notion that he's willing to talk about the idea that he believes and actually wrote, I think, that Derek Chauvin killed George Floyd. Yeah demonstrates that he does assign some culpability there. What extent he does and whether it will follow the actual evidence that's presented remains to be seen. What does it mean that they seated him, even with him saying things like, in my opinion, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the phrase that he was killed when Chauvin knelt on his neck area means that Floyd died because of something that, at least in my impression, out of his control. Why do you sit that guy if, well, you, are, if you are the prosecutor, well, if you're yeah. the defense? Well, you know, if you're the prosecutor, why you say <laughs> yeah. him, right? You want somebody <laughs> right. who's already going to be thinking of those things. If you're the defense attorney, though, remember, it's going to be a very difficult proposition to find someone who does not have an opinion of what happened in those eight minutes and 46 seconds right. across the globe, let alone in the actual state of Minnesota. So the idea of trying to get a juror who is totally ignorant of all of the facts is an improbable proposition. Right. But the idea of having somebody who's very forthcoming about their views and also willing, perhaps, to be persuaded through the objective presentation of evidence, you want somebody to have that immediate sense of credibility that can be assigned to them of saying, look, this person may in fact follow the instructions, which is to only hear the evidence that comes through this courtroom and rule accordingly. I remember that. It's always always worrisome when you think this person's not telling you how they really feel about it. And besides, remember, the defense just needs one to go their way. All right, juror number two, a woman, a person of color, biracial, 20s or 30s. A lot of energy in the courtroom said, I was super excited to get my summons. In fact, she said that she actually registered to vote just because she wanted to do jury duty and said awesome when she was chosen, which is not normally the response of somebody who's on a jury. Usually it's the idea of, oh, God, I'm on a jury. But in this case, she says that she has, I believe, an uncle who is a police officer in a neighboring town, but she doesn't see this person very often. She talked about the idea of having watched the video and believing that there has been some obvious issues in the criminal justice system, believes that there is a disparate impact and tougher crimes against um, people of color. She talks about that very freely, which again shows you again the idea of um, not ignorance being the standard, not not having any inkling of what the issues are about and about why this is such a momentous occasion and a monumental trial. It's the both sides saying, look, we want people who are willing to, again, listen to the evidence as presented, but are not going to pretend as if they have no idea what's going on and are going to say, oh, I've never really thought about issues of blue lives versus black lives 
lives or the idea of the role of the police. Because you know, it's very hard to find any juror, frankly, who's not going to give almost automatically as a knee-jerk reaction, the idea of giving police officers the benefit of the doubt, Chris. Most people don't think, despite what everyone tells you, most jurors are always asked the questions about what you think of the police because most people don't get up in the morning thinking that an officer is intending to kill somebody that day. Right. And so when you have that idea of the benefit of the doubt, you want a very clear and concise and honest answer about their views. The third one checks every one of those boxes as, as well, Caucasian male in his 30s. Um, he says he has not seen the entire Floyd video. That, to me, was impressive. Otherwise, he already checks every box that you just said. I know Black Lives Matter. I like it. I don't like everything. I don't like everything about Blue Lives Matter either. I don't know that it's necessary. I don't necessarily believe cops um, more than anybody else. Pretty out front about everything, but hadn't seen the video. That's got to be a rare commodity. Well, the entire video was the words he used, I believe. And the idea, remember, this is how disturbing it is. We don't know why he didn't watch the whole video. It's very difficult to watch eight minutes and 46 seconds of somebody being True. suffocated to death with a knee True. on their neck. And so the idea of turning away, you can imagine, might have been one of the reasons he has not watched it. True. But he didn't suggest somehow that he simply didn't watch it because he thought, ah, no big deal. Gotcha. It was just the idea that he hadn't watched the whole thing. He will during this trial, though. That's true. He will know it all and he will know it mm -hmm. well. Laura Coates, so will you and I. I look forward to coverage on this. Hopefully I can get you as often as possible. There's nobody better. Thank you for tonight. We'll be right back. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for watching. It is now time for the big show, CNN Tonight, with the big star with the knack for knowing, <laughs> D. Lemon. The palace responded. Here's what I don't get. <laughs> the palace does not dispute the facts. No. The strongest line in the denial was, while recollections may vary. May vary. They are taken very seriously and will be addressed by the family privately. Now, here, Chris. If that's what they're saying, why are people here specifically on the right <laughs> of the political <laughs> spectrum bashing her believability? Uh, because it's the same reason they like to talk about Dr. Seuss. I don't know. You know, so Dr. Seuss's family will say, we want to take uh, the books offline because it doesn't represent. You know, we want to take them out of production. They'll go, no, we're going to buy them because we're just going to lean into the racism. <laughs> the, the palace will say, well, look, uh, recollection, recollections vary. And these allegations uh, and the questions about racism are very serious. We're going to look into them. And the right goes, there is no racism. We're going to lean into it. The, the, all of a sudden, you have the right, who is always anti-royal family, pretty much. Now they're supporting the royal family, and they've become the, the uh, press release, so to speak, for, the, for Buckingham Palace. It's good for the monarchy. It's quite interesting, isn't it? It always has to be, for some reason lately, the opposition party. I wonder why, especially when it comes to issues of race. Right now, they're straight, up, they're straight up opposition. They are. And what's going on with these laws across the states, almost invariably being put forward by Republican administrations mm -hmm. at the state level. Um, it's Jim Crow. It's voter suppression. That's well, what it is. If they get what they, I mean, look, just look at the bills. You don't have to believe us. There's 250 of them out there. Uh, look at the one that they're, that they're dealing with now in Georgia. Um, it is going to be a 50-year pushback in terms of making it easy for people to get to the polls. And I think it's as simple as why when Trump was in the seat, uh, it was about making fun of me for being Italian and all that stuff. With you, it always say he had to be the dumbest man on television. Why? It's plays to others, black, 
ethnic. You know, th this is what they do. And they're doing it now in grotesque fashion with Meghan Markle. Yeah. It has to be that because there's no other reason. There's no other reason for people here on the political right to give a damn about what Meghan Markle says in a royal mess. Well, they seem to think that if you are a member of the royal family or if you are rich or if you have any sort of um, platform in life that th that you cannot be discriminated against, which absolutely makes no sense because they're always talking about they're being discriminated against because they're being canceled. Well, guess what happened today? Pierce Morgan canceled himself so he can no longer say I was canceled. He walked off of the set. He definitely he walked off. He walked back on. You think he quit? Or you think they pushed him out? I think he canceled himself. I can think of his behavior. Listen, you can have, I, listen, the, the laws are a bit different over there than they are here. You have a freedom of speech here, uh, the First Amendment, that you don't necessarily have over there. But in both places, you can say what you want to say pretty much, but you have to face the consequences of that. So it doesn't mean that someone is taking your... Your well, he had people away. coming after them. But I remember, you know, I don't I, I'm not a student of what happens uh, over there, certainly in the media culture. But I remember people going after him before. And that OFCOM, you know, the the uh, government agency that mm -hmm. oversees this fairness uh, kind of doctrine. That's what happened this time. They, they sided 41, with him. They had forty one thousand complaints this time that they're looking. They open an investigation, but that doesn't mean right. they're going to side against him. Right. But. but I also don't know that they even control the outlet. You know, it's not like he's on the BBC. Right. Look, I just think it's really fascinating that this person of color has shaken up the royal family in the way no white person. Two ever people has. of color. Don't forget about Oprah. Oprah and Meghan Markle. You and even have people here on the right going after Oprah. Nobody <laughs> goes after Oprah in their right mind. You know there's got to be animus involved. You can't have good reason to well, go no, after her. There are people who go after her, and they go after her, as I said last night, they will go after her because they want to be relevant. They no longer have relevance. They no longer have a platform. So what do you do? You go, you go after the person who has the biggest platform, who has the biggest voice, and that is someone like Oprah. That is someone like a Meghan Markle. And again, it is just it's confounding to me. I can't believe that people think that just because you have some degree of privilege that you cannot face discrimination or racism. Rich women. I think that's an elitism play because, you know, now they're anti-elite. Yeah. The Republican Party. Who would, have ever, who would any, have ever thought? Ask a wealthy woman or someone, a woman who has a position in business. If you can face any sort of, oh, of course. issue, they'll tell you, yes, I can. Of course. Me having a position doesn't mean that I can't face that. Of so course. The same thing there happens is no, with race. There's no immunity. Uh, and that whole stuff about look how expensive their house is and stuff. They're just playing to these same divisive lines unless it comes to their tax policy. And then they're all about helping people who live in those houses. <laughs> um, but I just I'm so blown away by the shamelessness and the obvious nature of it. Nobody can give me mm -hmm. an alternative good reason for people on the right to be yapping about Meghan Markle the way they are, well, if it's not about her color. Let me just take a picture. Is it about truth? After no. four years of empowering no, the most a, mendacious man in the a, history of the presidency? It's about her color. It's about her color. That's it. It's about her color. Listen, so stop playing around. We know it's about her color. So I'm just going to take a page from the Queen, and I'm talking about uh, the Republican Party. The whole family, American family, is saddened to learn the full extent of how challenging the last few years have been for the Republican Party. That's it. <laughs> You like you're happy with yourself. You burn a lot of calories coming up with that. That was pretty good. See you later, D Lemon. I love you. Love you too.
Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.